I mean, what's pro football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So Who cares about what people think about us. Yeah, I like football, I like football season and all the things that go with it. Welcome into the PFF NFL Podcast. Steve Palazzolo back here with Sam Monson. It is our midweek Wednesday edition of the PFF NFL Podcast. How you doing, Sam? All right. A little bit, you know. I was, I was bringing the energy with that intro there. I'm trying to yeah. raise your level. Well, look, I, you know, dealing with a, a cold, scout got sick, had to yeah. check, got the test this morning. It's not COVID, so it's just, you know, just slight the, cold. The cold that's going around look, everywhere. We're, we're more than six feet apart anyway, so we're good. It's actually three now, so we've got oh, plenty of room. It's, yeah, we're double the right, plenty of room. But uh, what's the cold? What's the cold social distancing rule? I would assume the same. On the you basis would assume that it's the same. You know, well, they spread differently. You know, sometimes yeah. they spread differently. Anyway, let's get into a uh, great show today. My this is this is slowly becoming my favorite show. Oh yeah, because it's open ended. We're not we're not constrained. By having to uh, to touch every game and all that stuff, you know, fewer constraints. And we get to t- talk about emails. We get to answer emails from our great listeners here. Yep. We get a oh, bunch. We have so a couple. The first one, they had a question as well, but frankly, we're not answering it. What I was curious about, who? Th- this email. Oh. The first email, like we're answering a couple of questions from the emails. There was another, que- another email sent in that did have a long question attached to it that we're just not touching. But since it's related to the charity... I figure we can bring it up, right? So, charity update. There isn't really one. Um, going with uh, going with Rick to the batting cages tonight. Take a you going take yeah. another swing at this. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm probably going to throw one more time, and then let's just find a good weather day next week and just do it. <laughs> okay. We'll just let's just roll up to any field. <laughs> I tried calling the y'alls. Like, there's just they're like pro teams. They're just not. It's they're not, not like somebody sitting in the office right now in November. Oh, you couldn't even y'alls. get anybody on the phone. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, there's nobody there. Like, there's it's not like the players aren't there. It's not like there's they're gonna. Be somebody un- they're not like, gonna take the tarp off the mound for us. You somebody, know, there's gonna be somebody there with like the keys to the building. Yeah, but just, but then if I, you mess up the mound and the mound, you have you to be mess very up the mound. Yes, the mound mound maintenance is just mound maintenance. Get mound, the hell out of here! What are you even saying? Pitching now? mound maintenance is science. Pitching mound maintenance. Absolutely. So if I go in there and I start digging it out and all that stuff, and they don't have their head grounds crew guy there, it's a mess, and it'll be a mess till the spring. There's when they no play way again. this isn't like a prank. Pitching mound maintenance isn't a thing. Yes, you think it's just a mound of dirt? Yes, yes, I do. You have to have the proper layer of clay. You have to be. Able, you have to tamp it down. It's got to be tight. Do you want that mound falling apart like a high school? Like that's what high school mounds do. That's how guys get hurt. This is so ridiculous. That's my concern. Anyway, the- so we're gonna go just find a high school feel to, to mess right. up we're up to like forty five hundred dollars uh, head to my pin tweet pff underscore sam you'll find it if you still want to donate money it is for the best friends animal then we'll get into Why the next keep... one animal society i think I... well it's on the other side no. best friends animal society they help prevent pets being destroyed um anyway the reason the email is connected to it let me find this guy's name uh so andrew dane uh as I say, send a long email, the question which we're not going to touch on. But he finished it with, P.S. Steve, please work the inside of the strike zone. Mm. The hell does that mean? Throw it closer to you. Oh. Yeah, that's what he wants me to do. Okay. Brush you off the plate. Hmm. It took me many years in my life to, to realize how to control the tail on my fastball. That if I actually throw it down the middle, it's going to end up on the inside of the strike zone. If I try to hit the inside of the strike zone, it's probably going to hit the batter. It took me some years. To really master that. So hopefully I've still got that feel. I mean, I don't know where the strike zone is or where I should be standing. Over the plate. Right. Yeah. But I'm not like I have no appreciation for where I should be standing in relation to the plate. So like the the concept that the whatever the regular strike zone is that people are aiming for connecting with the batsman, like I'm not going to be there. My suggestion is uh, watch some Barry Bonds film 
don't do what he does. He's okay. on top of the plate. Got it. He's really close. You I'm don't not going to do either of those things. I was just taking a sip. Uh, we're going to talk Monday night football. We're going to preview Thursday night football. We're going to answer those emails. Let's. Uh, what else we got to get into here? Got our charity update. You want to talk Monday night football? Sure. So, <clears throat> Steelers win. Yeah. What a game against the Bears. Yeah. Uh, started out a little slow, and then it got hot in the end. Back and forth, craziness, muffed punts, and the whole thing. Yeah. And uh, Justin Fields is God now again after yeah. this week. Yeah. He was awesome. Yeah, he was good. He was really good. This was... Like, this was the first game where it had the real potential to go south in a major way, given the defense that Pittsburgh has. And he kind of, I think, raised his game, overcame some challenges, and made some plays in the face of a lot of issues. Like, it does feel like the, the offense doesn't exactly go out of its way to make his life easier. Now, I think some of that is overblown. Like, you know, just move him out of the pocket. And then, like, two plays into moving him out of the pocket, he runs straight that into was, a... That was my favorite thing. The... Um... The, the Twitter offensive coordinators, all, all they wanted was a bootleg. Right. And now they, they got the first two that they got. The first one, you got a really nice throw from Justin Fields rolling to his left. The next one you got was Justin Fields rolling to his right directly into TJ Watt for a sack. Yeah. Who did not bite on the naked boot. Right. So um, so it's not as simple as just Twitter, like, I'm just saying Twitter offensive coordinators were one for two on that. <laughs> yeah. It isn't as simple as just, you know, just roll them out. Like, how hard can it be? Like, there you do have to do some things. You can't just be like, well, and this was the problem with the Browns game. It was like, why didn't they ever roll him out? Well, they did like four times, and every single time there was a Browns edge rusher waiting on it. Like they, It's almost like defenses have gone into a game knowing they're going to face Justin Fields thinking, what happens if he doesn't just drop straight back and actually tries to get out of the pocket? We should probably think about that. Yeah, so it isn't could, quite as simple as people are making it out. You could fake the handoff. Yeah. But it does feel like they could do more to, you know, make his life a little easier. Yeah, and so I think, you know, things started out a little slow uh, from an offensive standpoint. But you started to see Fields, you know, just not his instincts, his playmaking ability. There was a throw early in the game, a little five-step rhythm out route that I think I, it was negated. Then I turned away, and I don't know if they – it was like an illegal formation or whatever. But he had a good timing route. He had five big-time throws. Which included, you know, rolling to his left, you know, touchdown to take the lead in the fourth quarter, hit the uh, hit the go ball on the uh, slot slot fade. I mean, a lot of a lot of big time throws in there from Justin Fields, and no turnover worthy. The Devin, he almost threw one into Devin Bush's hands, but it looked a little bit worse on TV, I think, than it was. Receiver made it a little bit uh, look a little bit worse as well. But Fields generally took care of the ball, and uh, overall, I think Bears fans should be excited. Yeah. about that particular game, even though they lost. Absolutely. I thought the refereeing was atrocious, and I don't, you know I hate talking about refs and calls. There were some just absurd calls, not just the taunting. The taunting was so bad. The taunting was bad. But even just like a Jalen Johnson hand fight that got called for a 30-yard pass interference. 30 yards. My problem, look, <clears throat> refs are going to miss calls. My problem is it's a 30-yard missed call. It is 30 yards. And then you've got Big Ben, his internal hourglass goes off. He gets sacked in the pocket after like five seconds. Big stop by the Bears. And then all of a sudden, personal foul, taunting. Are you kidding me? It was just the, the impact of those calls on this game, in this particular game, were just incredible. The, and they were horrible. The Cassius Marsh like, taunting call was absurd. I mean, Are we going to get fined? Do we get fined? If we talk badly about the refs? No. We can't, right? No, no, we're good. Okay, good. Like, he gets up, makes a play, literally just looks at the opposition sideline, looks at the Steelers' sideline, and then jogs away. That's all, all that happened. Wasn't You couldn't have interpreted it as the official as, oh, look, he may be aiming at the sideline, but also there's a player between him and the sideline. Like, maybe he's aiming it at that player, and that is illegal, so we're flagging it, right? You couldn't have even made that mis misrepresentation. It was obvious he's just looking at the sideline. And he's looking, like, oh, you're, he's looking away from you. So in order for you to flag that, you have to have made the determination that based off something I cannot see, I, I've decided he's done that. Are you allowed to taunt an entire sideline? Is that part of the rules? Or is it just you oh, can't I'm sure get that's into a flag a as well. But my face. point is, you literally can't see what he's doing. All you can see is he is facing the sideline. 
So in order for you to throw that flag, you have to make the determination that based off something you cannot see, he's, do- he's doing something that you think he's doing. But it's, a, it's ridiculous. Like you, can't, you literally cannot make that determination from where you're standing. It's just physically impossible. Like that is... He was just staring at the team that released him. That is a classic example of a guy that just wanted to throw a flag and decided that he knew better than what the actual facts are present. Uh, yeah. it, it, like in that particular situation. It's ridiculous. Look, sometimes flags determine the game and, you know, that's, they're warranted. You know, there are, there are certain times that they're warranted. In this particular game, it just felt like all of them were sketchy and they had just a massive impact all of them on the except, actual football game. All of them except all the like blatantly ridiculous offsides calls where for some reason the right, Bears, those were, those the Bears were just couldn't bad. stop lining up in the neutral zone. That was horrible. That was Robert Quinn and other Bears. It was Quinn at least twice, right? Yeah. Just could not line up on their own side of the field. Now, I think at least one of them was sketchy in terms of where he was, but multiple ones were not. Like, how hard is this? Particularly when you've already been flagged, you know, at least once. Yeah, usually I lined up in the neutral zone once. Right. My mistake. Won't happen again. Yeah. Like, and you know, a lot of these guys kind of push the boundary because you know it's not going to get called. But the second it gets called, okay, now we need to make some adjustments. Apparently, they're not just going to let this go all game, so I'm going to back off. No, they just kept doing it. Yeah, man, it was, it was odd. Um, <clears throat> Pittsburgh, you know, new star there, Pat Fryermuth, red zone weapon, four touchdowns over the last two weeks. Uh, you know, I was joking early in the game that the, the Steelers' best offense is still chucking it up to Chase Claypool. They only did that once for a 26-yarder, but um, we're, we're going to answer a Big Ben-related question later in the show. I don't think Ben is playing great at all, but there are there are times he's just getting it to his playmakers to make plays, right? There are times he's getting the ball up in the air. This is, this is my compliment for Big Ben. He's throwing the ball up in the air for Pat Fryermuth to go up and catch it or for Chase Claypool to go up and catch it. I don't even know if they're great throws necessarily. They're not necessarily up and away from coverage or anything like that, but those guys are winning at the catch point. And I think the Steelers are benefiting from having a good group of playmakers like Claypool, like Deontay Johnson, and the rookie Fryermuth. And I think that's that's essentially how this the Steelers move the ball. It felt like they had they had like about fifteen third and ones where they just, you know, ran duo right directly up the middle and half of them worked and half of them didn't. And uh still a rough looking offense in Pittsburgh, even though they're they're winning football games now and they're five and three. Well it was that and the uh, aesthetic beauty of Ben Roethlisberger on a two yard uh zone read play. I mean, how can you not appreciate that? It still boggles my mind that they, he can't or won't or whatever. They can't run a QB sneak. You can't run a QB sneak. How, it's not even how hard could it be. That's, to me, that's just an effort thing. That you, in almost 20 years of football, you haven't mastered a QB sneak or the, the couple variations of the sneak that you need at his size. I mean, I'm just blown away at the idea that and that they ran a keeper instead. That a dude that moves currently the way he does was given the option to pull the ball and try and pick up 2 yards uh in space against you got one. defenders. Yeah, about one and a half. Yeah, I mean that. I think the logic was a little bit like, you know, it, it's supposed to take like a 3 quarters of a mile to stop an oil tanker once it's moving. Like, you can't just throw on the brakes. Those things don't just stop. He'll just automatically fall forward beyond right. the sticks. It's like once he's moving, it's going to take a couple of yards to stop him. Yeah, it took him seven yards to get moving from Ooh. the backfield to the line of scrimmage. It took him a while to actually get there. I didn't say the logic was flawless. Oh, okay. That's obviously the downside of that logic is, <clears throat> yes, once he's moving, it might take him a couple of yards to stop. On the other hand, it might take him a week and a half to start moving. So, you know, there's, there's, there's two sides to this coin. Baseball analogy coming up. Of course. As you know, left-handed pitchers, you can't, it's tough to steal on left-handed pitchers because they're facing the runner. Right, they can see. Right? Yeah. They can see him. So they're facing the runner at first base. I used to hate when I saw a left-handed pitcher who did not have a good pickoff move, who wasn't good at holding runners at first base, not allowing them to steal second. It is a built-in advantage that you have as a lefty, and all it takes is effort to be good at that. To me, that's like the QB sneak. If you are a 240-pound quarterback, you should have picked up every fourth and one and every third and one your entire career if you just worked at it a little bit that's just that's just my take that should the, the way the qb sneak works in madden where it works like 95 percent of the time like the nfl's kind of close to that you should be able 
to work at it. And it's just, I mean, Big Ben's had a great career. He's a Hall of Famer. But it's just this edge that you should have as part of your offense. So you don't have to run Najee every single time. The, the one time they actually converted on third or fourth and short is when they hit you know Chase. They had a couple. Najee did a nice job on a couple of them. But he was hitting the backfield every single time. They hit Chase Claypool on a, on a jet sweep to pick up two, you know, to convert. Just feels like Big Ben should be able to fall forward in the right gap, which is all a QB sneak is. Agreed. Oh, good. Yeah. Anyway, anything else on this? Uh, are we still are we allowed to evaluate Justin Fields, or are we still on a um, are we still on hiatus? Has that been put on hold? Um, I mean, I was never the man issuing the determination about whether you could or couldn't analyze what was coming from a Justin Fields game. Certain people have said you couldn't and have then subsequently taken victory laps after that game. So I don't know what the rules are anymore. Certain people, Dano. Yeah, yeah. Again. Certain Danos. Um, I don't know what the rules are, whether you're, allowed, whether you're only allowed to take things from the game when it's positive. I, I assume there are rules to this, and he's not just making it up as he goes, but the rules have been made unclear. Is it really hot in here? No. Is it just, the, is it just my coffee? Possibly. I'm sweating. Though the thermostat does appear to be back up to 70, I believe that was in... Didn't we 70. crank that down to the 60s at one point? Yeah, I think we were... Can, can you go fix that? You want me to do it now? No, look, Tyler's... There we go. You know, Tyler's we, taking care of it. Tyler, we can yeah. act all professional, stay in the seats, and somebody yeah. else will take care of Thank it for you. us. Thank you. Now, I think if we were really being professional, we wouldn't acknowledge that I, somebody just went over there and... No, we're not that it. professional. Right. But if I was true big league, I would... Can we get somebody to please fix the, you know, the climate control in yeah, here? They already did. You didn't even have they to did. ask. I appreciate it, Tyler. Yeah. He's riding a high. He's a big Browns fan. Excited about this this past weekend. It's true. OBJ's gone. gone Offense yeah. is cooking. It's great. Running backs are all in the COVID room. Speaking of it's which, right, OBJ update. All right, some OBJ updates. Let's, uh, let's get into that. He is down to Three the teams. Saints, the Chiefs, and the Packers. Uh-huh. No Seahawks, huh? No, he having wanted, been, they were the reported front runners. He wanted to back. go to Seattle. That's where he wanted to go. Allegedly, yeah. I'm, I'd be interested in that that marriage with uh, with Russ. Yeah, how that would work. But we're not going to see that. So the Saints. Do you you really think he wants to go play with uh, Trevor Simeon? Huh? God, I don't know. But the one thing the Saints have got going for them is that he would be like the unquestioned number one there immediately. True. Like if you're OBJ and you want to prove that you still got some something there, you know, you're you're not you're not the bad player that, that the Browns made you look, the is, Saints would be the opportunity to go there and just, like, give me all of the targets. Like, every single pass now comes through my area code. The, um, the thing that also happened with, with OBJ's contract, he'll be a free agent at the end of the year. So this isn't, like, a multi-year rental or anything like right. that. He is officially a free agent. So it's like, what is the best eight games for me to look good? Right. I don't know if playing... Not... You don't always necessarily need the best quarterback, though. You might want the volume. Right. And, and so it's a real, it's a Trevor legitimate. Simeon, sorry, even if Simeon's not as good as Patrick Mahomes or Aaron Rodgers, it's not like a lesser quarterback misses every throw. Right. I mean, he'll still get the ball to you, right, for the most part. It is, I think, a legitimate question. Do you go and be the clear number two in Green Bay with Aaron Rodgers um, and a functioning passing attack and everything looking okay? Do you go and be two or three in a Kansas City offense that right now is in a real funk and can't seem to get the ball down the field? Or do you go to a Saints offense that has no receivers? You will be by far the number one, but the guy throwing you the ball is Trevor Simeon up until the point where maybe it's Taysom Hill. I mean, you know, that part isn't great, but the number one thing is good. So I, it's not, I don't think, a slam dunk that, you know, you would be making it out to be. The the Packers would be interesting because of the way Aaron Rodgers plays, right? I mean, it's going to be it would probably take a little bit of time to get that feel. But just like you were talking about the other day with Jordan Love just not being on the same page as Devontae Adams throwing back shoulders and all that stuff, I think Rodgers and OBJ would be on the same page pretty quickly on that type of stuff. Um, the other, but Alan Lazard has been Rodgers' guy over there, and you know, is it is it really an upgrade? getting a guy into the into a new system in the second half of the season if you're the Packers. There's also little downside, yeah. I think. And then the other part of this is if you're OBJ and the thing you're actually interested in is chasing a ring, at which point you probably power rank them uh, Green Bay, 
Kansas City, New Orleans, right? I know that right now the Chiefs are arguably in the worst situation in terms of where they sit, but like which one has a better chance of winning the Super Bowl? A Patrick Mahomes-led Kansas City offense or a Trevor Simeon-led New Orleans offense? Yeah, I think how much, how much do you look at Kansas City's season and just say, okay. But I think that's a clear number one, like Green Bay by a yeah. mile, the other two. Yeah, but do you just completely – it's four weeks. Is, is it a four-week slump in Kansas City or you look at it and say, man, they have all the right pieces. The, if there's a missing piece, it is another receiver – and Mahomes is still Mahomes. It's not – we've seen so much evidence of him, him playing well. It's still Kansas City. And it's not like – and it's, in, it's Kansas City. It, it's an AFC that doesn't have a dominant team, right? Sure. The, you know, the, the Titans have lost to the Jets as, as great as they've been the last few weeks. The Ravens got smoked by the Bengals. Like it's not it's, – there's no dominant team here in the AFC. So maybe the, you know, there's, there's better teams probably at you know, the high end in the NFC. I think the Chiefs could still be right up there. And um, as we posed the question on the PFF NFL Daily today, which is a good, good episode, we talk about free agents. We give a little preview of the top 50 free agents, which is all over at pff.com. It's on your, wherever you listen to podcasts, PFF NFL Daily, also on, the, on YouTube. And we, we posed the question about Orlando Brown. He's a free agent, offensive lineman, the Chiefs offensive line. You, you have your rankings. Do you put rankings out this week? Yeah. They're second? Yeah. In their off- the offensive line rankings. Yeah. The Chiefs. Yeah. Do their fans know that? No. Their fans think they're – it's official. 31 fan bases hate their offensive line. Who's the one – like the Browns fans are like, yeah, we got a good line. Everyone else thinks theirs is trash. Rams fans feel good about them. Well, maybe not after the other night. Yeah. Everybody Dallas, hates their offensive line. The Dallas Chiefs offensive don't line. Anymore cause they had, uh, Terrence, Dallas fans don't anymore because Terrence Steele Nope, Terrence Steele got smoked and the, uh, the guards got smoked by the Rams. So the Browns are the only good offensive line in the NFL. Everyone else is terrible. Chiefs are number, the number two offensive line, and they've never scored fewer points with Patrick Mahomes by a mile this season. 12 points per game over the last three weeks. Meaning something's still missing in that offense. OBJ is, the, is more of a missing piece for the Chiefs offense than he's a missing piece for the Packers or for the Saints, yeah, in my I th- opinion, I even he though has, he's the number one with New Orleans. I think he has the potential to be. I think those are three interesting teams to narrow them down to. If I was him, and I mean, it, it depends on your motivations. If you're ring chasing, Green Bay is the team to go to. If you are trying to get, trying to look the best you could possibly look for the next nine weeks so that next year you go somewhere with big money, that's a more interesting question. I... I do think there's a very real chance that New Orleans is the best spot because that is a team where you would be by far the number one and they've shown they can force feed a receiver over the years, the downside being Trevor Simeon's the guy doing the feeding. Um, And then the Chiefs are the big X factor. Like if that offense gets its stuff together, they could be the best offense in the NFL again immediately and you could be a big part of that. But there's so much kind of unknown and so much not right with it at the moment. Last year, right around this time, is when Antonio Brown signed with the Bucks, and we discussed from a football standpoint. I think, you know, I think people were even questioning it, like, why do they need Antonio Brown? I mean, it'd be, well, they already have Mike Evans, they already have Chris Godwin, Rob Gronkowski, other tight ends, right? And it was just because it's tough to cover all those guys. It is really difficult to cover all those guys, and you had insurance, right? Mike Evans was in and out of the lineup with injury. Oh, he was battling through injuries last year. Godwin had his moments, and AB ended up being a pretty key part. Yeah, of still is that run. I mean, it's the same thing with OBJ. If you were the Seahawks and in the mix, but if you're the Packers, the Saints, or the Chiefs, of course, the the payout, the payoff of having an OBJ is great. I think that is there downside though. Like, would you would you project what happened in Cleveland and say there is downside? This AB analysis of Baker with Baker without is that going to show up somewhere else? I mean, I don't think you, yeah, there is downside because we've just seen what happens when it doesn't work out. And the Browns have determined that despite needing a player like that, they are better off without him for a stretch that is supposed to get them to the playoffs and potentially beyond. So obviously, now that we've seen that happen one place, there's no reason it can't happen somewhere else. And if you bring in a guy like that, and all of a sudden it changes the dynamics of your offense, particularly Green Bay, say, of the teams that are left, like if Green Bay suddenly starts having to feed, Odell Beckham and take targets away from other guys in that offense and suddenly Rodgers is playing worse because he's skewing in the direction of OBJ, 
They could definitely upset the balance of the team. I w- Kansas City, the balance is already upset, so my concern would be smaller. And New Orleans, there's no balance to upset because you don't have any receivers. So what the <laughs> hell? Like, for those two teams, I would be far less concerned about the downside. But there's definitely – there is one. I mean, there is a way that it doesn't go well. The other part about uh, Antonio Brown working in Tampa Bay, I th- there haven't been instances where, like, Chris Godwin's left out or Mike Evans is left out. It really is a game-to-game thing. Right. Evans is the guy one time. Sometimes it's Antonio Brown. Sometimes it's Gronk. Sometimes it's Godwin. And they've made it work. Will OBJ, would, will he make that work from his end, right? It, you know, are, oh, will Aaron Rodgers, would he make it work from his end? Where there might be a game where, hey, it's an OBJ game. He's got the right matchups. I'm, I don't have to feed Devontae. Will they make that work, I think, is the question. Um, but, yeah, on paper, adding a good receiver generally more good than bad, right? Mm-hmm. NFL fans hungry for a big win this week? Well, DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, they got you covered. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game, and if they do, you win $200 in free bets. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, DraftKings won't leave you empty-handed. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contests. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. So you just got to download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now, use the promo code PFF, bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game, and win $200 in free bets. If they win, you win with the promo code PFF this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, Pennsylvania only, new customers only, minimum $5 deposit, $1 wage required, one per customer restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right, do you want to get into some of these other emails? Yeah, let's go. All right, why don't you kick it off? Uh, okay, we have one from hmm. Bill's Chiefs discussion here. Yes, I would say that's Ellis Roach, but it depends where you're from. Roche? R-O-C-H-E. If it's Quincy, the uh, edge rusher, he's Roche. Yeah. Quincy Roche. I mean, it really, it depends where you're, like, where you hail from, how you pronounce that name, because the language will change it. So I'm going to go with Ellis Roach on the basis that I'm Irish. But, and that's that's how what I would be. do. That's how it would be in Irish. Not in Irish, but that's how Irish people would say it. If you spoke somebody. Irish, yeah. Somebody whose name was R-O-C-H-E would be Roach in Ireland. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, how concerning is it that Buffalo's opponents are starting to implement the Kansas City treatment, especially after the Chiefs' struggles when teams play that kind of defense this season? Um, and how much value should be placed in the run game as teams start to figure out the pass-heavy offense teams? So essentially this idea that the Chiefs are seeing more too high uh, deep coverage shells than ever before, all of a sudden the deep ball isn't there, they're forcing teams to be patient, and the Chiefs are not able to do that. I was asked this the same thing on on Buffalo radio this week. The Bills are starting to get the same treatment, and it's starting to look like it's as problematic for them as it has been for Kansas City. And this is kind of related to what we were talking about on Monday. Like, I'm wondering if that type of quarterback, and by that I mean guys that don't necessarily play, you know, conventionally. They play a little bit outside of structure. They play a little bit uh, like a maverick. Are those guys put in a bigger bind by that style of defense than old, traditional, pocket passer, normal type of quarterbacks? Like, if you did that to Peyton Manning, I don't imagine it would concern him too much. If you did it to Tom Brady, he's well capable of it. If you do that to Mahomes and and Josh Allen, guys that like living outside of structure, does it cause them bigger problems? Two high coverages, Sam. This is... This is fascinating to me. Two high coverages. Like, these were solved 20 years ago. Yeah, but it's not the same. Like, it's being, it is two high coverage shells, but it's not like people are just rolling out there using 1990s Tampa 2. Like, it's, that's not what's happening here. Is it, though? No. Isn't it? No, it's not. Okay. It's actually not. So two high coverages. What you're, so what you're saying is guys that, I mean, Mahomes and Allen, and if you – if you read their scouting reports coming out, they would they would probably read similar coming out, right? Maybe yeah. arm talent and comfort outside of structure and all that stuff. I know ours would be would be similar. We would be a little bit more complimentary of Mahomes than we were Allen coming out because of uh, Mahomes is more accurate. Mm-hmm. But neither one was the most pristine decision maker in college. You know, neither one likes to play within structure, and they were special outside the pocket in college. So you're saying that type of player. When you just, when you make the the good choice for them to be either something underneath, 
or something that gets you know schemed up, you might be taking away what they're most comfortable with stylistically. I just repeated you what you said. Well just trying to just trying to lay it out. Mm. There might be some truths to that, but this it's not like Mahomes has never seen too high coverage in his career. No, but it is like it's happening a hell of a lot more now than it was in the, at the start of his career. I pulled out the numbers on this. So Mahomes' grade, let's just start with Mahomes. His grade on cover two, four, and six, which, by the way, it's a two-high shell, basically. They are very different types of coverages, though. But sure. you just kind of, like, lump them into the same bucket because they can kind of morph. Remember, I would be a two-four-six coach, as mm. I said, as a defense coach. Two-four-six and just guard the hot spots, right? Guard the heat map. That would be my defensive strategy. Um, but two four six, kind of the same family. You can disguise them in the whole thing. Mahomes had a passing grade of 84 in his MVP season of 2018, 89.2 in their Super Bowl year of 2019. Then last year it dropped to 76.8, and then this year it drops to 69.6. So it's, it's kind of my point. Like you're seeing more of it, but they've had success. Like they had success against these coverages yeah. previously. And what happens when you, when you have too high – it does take away more deep shots. You do have fewer passes beyond the sticks. And that's the other piece of this with Mahomes. He's got like 65% of his passes are in front of the stick, uh, yeah, shorter than the sticks when you face too high. So I do think teams have said, we're, we're going to take away the deep, we're going to take away the deep shot and make Mahomes be patient or make a Josh Allen be patient, which is what we're seeing recently. And they're just not playing into it. But how much is that? That is on the coaching staff too. Yeah, how I mean, much of that's on the quarterback? But I also think this is one of those things that changes the the volume matters, right? It's like remember when we were talking about Baker Mayfield as a prospect, and it's like, yeah, he faced an absolute ton of wide open throws in college, or had an absolute ton of wide open throws in college. But when you look at just the ones that were tightly covered, his grade was really good, and his accuracy was really good. So you're like, well, I'm sure he'll be great at the next level, but. The question, the question is, like, what happens when you scale that up? So suddenly he's facing just a hell of a lot more of uh, tight coverage and, and tighter window throws. Does the fact that he's just facing so much more of them change his relationship to those plays? I think the same thing is true with this. Like, of course, they faced cover two, four, six in the past. And with everything else, they carved it up. They were carving up everything. But if you change the ratios of how much you're seeing and all of a sudden – your most of what you're seeing now is these higher uh, defending coverage shells, and they're forcing you underneath. Does that change your relationship to those shells? I would say yes, it does. So all of a sudden, both Kansas City and Buffalo are being forced into taking the underneath plays. And again, it's not like they're not capable of that, but I also wonder to what extent getting used to taking the deep stuff for three years, like how e even if you were – just doing one thing for that amount of time and then suddenly being told to change. How hard is it to unwire that? Yeah, I think, you know, it's a good point. Mahomes has 147 dropbacks against those coverages. That's 30 more than anyone else. It's him than Matt Ryan um, specifically, right? Last week we talked about teams. Um, it was the Chiefs, then the Jaguars first. But, you know, things have changed a little bit. But Mahomes has 30 more dropbacks than anyone else against those particular coverages. And as I mentioned, the 65 grade. But the other part of this, too, is he's, this isn't where he's turning the ball over either. This is, he, only's got, he only has three turnover-worthy plays. But what you are doing is just is taking away the explosives that yeah. the Chiefs don't have. And, you know, I, I don't know if it's this, like, exact Super Bowl blueprints because the, the Bucks did a lot of that as well. But I do think teams looked and said, okay, if there's a weakness in Mahomes and the Chiefs, which was tough to find since 2018, if there is a weakness – I would rather do this than that, right? I would rather them play this type of game. And I do think there is an element to that that you're speaking to, right? It's putting them in a less comfortable situation. I don't even know if it was that conscious as opposed to, okay, if they are going to beat us, like if he's going to dominate, let's at least make him earn it, right? Let's at least make him do this 15 times to get a score. Let's just not get torched by the 75-yard touchdown that takes them seven seconds and then we're back on the field again. So... I think they probably started off saying, Mahomes is Mahomes. He's going to kill us, whatever we do. Let's at least make him execute as many plays as possible to get it done. And then all of a sudden, somewhere along the line, I think teams realize that this is actually 
they are struggling with this. Like, this isn't just the lesser of two evils. This is actually having an impact on how they play. And now I think what you're seeing is teams genuinely scheming it up as a as a way to stop them, not just a way to frustrate them and make them earn the fact that they're going to beat you anyway. All of a sudden, you're seeing teams like the Giants a couple of weeks ago where they weren't just like rolling with a too high shell, but they were doubling, you know, Kelsey and, and Hill off those too high and, you know, doing clever things post-snap from it. And now you're like, well, not only can they not take a shot deep, but they can't even go where they want underneath with the ball before the pass rush gets there. I think you're seeing teams, you know, execute a smart game plan now to stop both Mahomes. And I think Allen is seeing a lot of the same things. Yeah, to me, that <clears throat> that's part of it. Mahomes also has not seen the blitz at all. But the the doubling of Kelsey and Tyreek, or at least having... I mean, that that's the Belichick thing. That's what there was a point where Belichick and the Patriots had really good success against Patrick Mahomes himself, against the quarterback Patrick Mahomes. And I've always tried to explain this, right? PFF grades are different from production, right? There was a point in Mahomes' career when 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 he had sub seventy PFF grades, he was like a top twelve quarterback production wise. So he wasn't playing great, and the production was good: EPA, passer rating, interception rate, all of that stuff. But the Patriots were the team that kept putting Mahomes' grades low, right? He'd have low grades, but the Kansas City offense would still find a way to produce. And a lot of that was, okay, Belichick made them win without Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey for the most part. But the Chiefs had answers for doing that. I do think more teams are taking those guys away and the Chiefs don't have the answers. And then as I was about to say earlier, only 59 dropbacks against the Blitz this year for Patrick Mahomes. That's like 20th in the league. He, they haven't had a bye yet. So he has barely faced the blitz. We saw the Ravens completely, you know, go from their blitz-heavy attack and say, we're not doing that again. We're not falling into that trap again. Mahomes has, has 80 more dropbacks against no blitz than any other dro- uh, quarterback in the NFL. So how are they going to adjust? And by the way, Josh, the, the Josh Allen factor, just to throw him in there too because we talked about both, there was a point early in his career where cover two was generally a problem because he doesn't like doing that. Like, he doesn't want to sit there and pick apart a zone this over and thing. over again. I, I genuinely think that there is a group of quarterbacks that do not like playing the game that way and will get frustrated and start to make errors, catastrophic errors, if you force them to do that for an entire game. And I, I think, you know, there were quarterbacks in the past that, that didn't. If you made them do that, They might not like it, but they would do it. That's the best way of winning against that particular defense. They'll take it every single time. I I honestly wonder if the quarterbacks that skew in that direction of play in terms of running around, doing crazy things, um, all the things that you were never supposed to do as a quarterback, I wonder if that group of quarterbacks is more prone to mistakes when you force them to be patient and, you know, do things the kind of conservative – ugly frustrating way because that's the way it's looking right now yeah allen's got a 70 passing grade against cover two which is below his below where he is this season below you know where he's been these last couple years and that's actually bet you know his first two years he was really bad against cover two he was better last year he had been getting better but i think there's i think there's something too i think there's something to this point so how do they adjust like, what do you do when you have a guy? Well, you can't make them stop taking away the deep stuff. Like, the only way to make them do that is to become efficient enough with the underneath stuff that that's no longer the winning plan either. Yeah, like, but again, you literally have to do the thing that they want you to do and do it well enough that they're changing it. That's the problem. At the moment, neither Josh Allen nor Patrick Mahomes is giving the defense any reason to stop doing what they're doing because they're both collapsing in the face of it. There are still big plays to be had, even against cover two. They're just they're lower percentage, right? You've got the cover two hole between the corner and the safety. You could throw the seam ball with uh, with a slot receiver or a tight end who's get, generally getting covered by a, by a linebacker. Like, there are plays to be had there. But again, that's not like, that's not just what's happening, right? Teams are not just lining. You're not, you're not facing Lovey Smith every week where you're just seeing a, a sea of cover two and you know, all right, that's fine. Now we just take these shots into the, the known cover two holes. Like, you're seeing teams mix it up like the Giants and swap between these coverages and disguise them pre and post snap. And all of a sudden you don't have the time to know exactly where to go with the ball. And even if you did, whatever play you've called on offense might not be the play that's going to put a guy there. 
So we got we got to see more underneath stuff from the Chiefs until they figure it out. Until they master that. I mean, yeah, those quarterbacks. I think. I mean, the offense. Both teams could probably run the ball more. I think that's one thing, right? And and a thing that we would not normally advocate as a thing to do on offense. But all of the things they're doing to force a team to pass underneath is also inviting you to run. So both teams, I think, would be served by running the ball more than they're currently doing. But both quarterbacks need to start being more patient and take the underneath stuff over and over and over again until it bores you out of your mind, but it's working, and the defense suddenly starts to try and take that away. Once they do that, your deep ball comes back. It's two slightly different offenses, too. The Chiefs, if you're sitting here halfway through the season and saying, what do the Chiefs do well offensively? It's their offensive line. It is the number two ranked offensive line. It's the second best or the best run blocking offensive line. It's right up there. And from a pass blocking standpoint, they've been fantastic. So, uh, especially in recent weeks. So if you are the Chiefs and teams are inviting you to run, you kind of have that advantage with the way you're run blocking right now to at least create four, five, six yards per carry. You have five and six yards per carry uh, available to you if you're the Chiefs. And that's, that's where the run game starts to become efficient. If you do combine that with the underneath passing game, then you could start to open things up for Tyreek and Kelsey. I think for the Bills, the slight difference is their offensive line, from a pass pro standpoint, they're kind of hit or miss. They had a rough week last week against the Jaguars, and, or at least in you know, certain spots. That the quick passing game is going to help protect the line a little bit too if Allen can continue you know, can play that patient game and, and hit the underneath stuff. I just think the offensive coordinators too, you know, Brian Dayball, Eric Bieniemy, and Andy Reid, however we however we structure the way we talk about the Kansas City offense, they have to they have to be better too. I mean they have to say, look, this is what we're facing. We need two high beaters left and right that to, you know, to combat this. Yeah, I mean I actually think they need to just say, look, we need to pivot to that Philip Rivers offense where we just run a million shallow crossers in front of all the zone coverage and just pick it up that way. All right, next email. Um, this one is from Zachary who? Bikuvarakis? Yeah, yeah, it's definitely, definitely better when you're doing the pronunciations. Uh, this guy, so on PFF Power Rankings page on the website, uh, if you go up to the top of the page, you'll see the betting drop down. It's in there somewhere. Um, we have essentially one of the columns is how much, how many points is a quarterback, a starting quarterback worth to the point spread if he was out of the lineup versus a replacement level player. Um, so you can see, you know, when Rodgers goes down, the line moves by like seven and a half or whatever to Jordan Love. That's how much Rodgers is worth, essentially. Um, so this guy was looking at all the lower rated quarterbacks, one point and below relative to a replacement level player. So it's Tyrod Taylor, Taylor Heineke, Sam Darnold, Jared Goff, Jacoby Brissett, Jordan Love, uh, Colt McCoy last week, Big Ben, uh, Mike White, Trevor Simeon, who, by the way, are both replacement-level players, according to those numbers. Um, so this guy was essentially saying, if you need to choose one of those quarterbacks to lead a game-winning drive late on, it would be Big Ben, right? Um, if nothing else, he's got, ex he's got the experience. He knows the types of coverage, um, knows how to coach, manage tight ends, wide receivers, deal with that kind of whole thing in the moment. Um, I guess his question is, is there a hole in analytics that can't account for that experience, those intangibles, the game management thing, and does that mean that that kind of whole point spread stuff is just off, right? It's a, it's a good question. That, that email, by the way, has been like edited for brevity, shall we say. Okay. That's a good, I mean, good summation. But I think I'm doing it justice. I would say, <clears throat> I don't think there's a hole in, in analytics. The question is, is very pointed because the question was, who would you rather take in a game-winning drive? Yeah. Which is, you know, two minutes out of 58 minutes of football. So analytics is looking at the 60-minute football game and saying, based off all this data that we have, these are the worst quarterbacks, right, as far as the point spread goes. And Big Ben happens to be in that mix over these last two years. That's how he's played football. He's been, you know, I'm just looking at the last two years of football. Last two years, Big Ben is in the 12th percentile in PFF clean pocket grade. He's 13th in uh, grade throwing at or beyond the sticks. He is below average in everything. However, I agree with the premise or the uh, conclusion that came, that came out of this, which was like, yeah, I'd rather Big Ben than Colt McCoy or Sam Darnold and all that stuff. I have a reason for that, but I'll let you 
answer your uh, what's your take on that? No, I mean, I think that was a good answer that, yes, in that in that specific situation, Ben Roethlisberger is probably the best of those quarterbacks and the guy that you would choose and think has the highest percentage of executing that drive and winning the game, which is ultimately the point in all this, right? To win. Um, so, yeah, in that situation, Ben Roethlisberger is the best, but that's a very small situation. What about the rest of the, the game? Right. It reminds me a little bit of that, you know, how much credit that Andrew Luck used to get for putting out the fire that he started in the first place <laughs> right. for the Throw first three quarters. six and the whole thing. Right. Yeah. It's like, yes, Ben Roethlisberger may well get you out of that situation, but, like, how much of the reason you're in that situation in the first place was because of the play of Ben Roethlisberger in the first three quarters or the first, you know, 58 minutes of the game? Um, and that, I think, is the point, is that overall, with those incredibly low percentiles, he's been bad. Like, not just, you know, declining, not what he once was, no longer elite, like actively bad. And, yeah, yeah you might be able to turn that off for a specific situation where you rely a bit more on sort of knowing, you know, just knowing the, the nuances of a two-minute drive and where to go with the ball and, where, like, how best to, to deal with that. But how many of these quarters, like... In any random situation, how many of those quarterbacks are further ahead in the game relative to where they would be than Roethlisberger was because they played better? Yeah, with, with Big Ben, the reason why I would take him is not necessarily the experience or anything like that. It's when he was at his best and at his peak, he was a value-add quarterback. He was on the, the higher end of adding positives, right? Again, I'm using <clears throat> the fact that we grade every player on every play, positive grades, negative grades. In a two-minute situation, the quarterback, the can-do quarterbacks, that's where they have value. That's why Matthew Stafford has a lot of comebacks in his career. A can-do quarterback where, like, missing throws at that point is probably less detrimental because you're already more likely to lose. The value there is the can-do stuff, making plays, adding positives, whereas, like, an Alex Smith or a, more, or a Teddy Bridgewater, the more conservative quarterbacks, generally don't perform as well in comeback situations. Eli Manning had that knack for leading comebacks because, you know, he, he didn't grade well overall throughout his career because he missed a lot of throws. He had a lot of turnover-worthy throws. But if you throw a turnover-worthy play late in the game, it's like, okay, that's, it's just like a miss pretty much. Like if you miss throws or you throw it to the linebacker, the game's over. But if you can you hit a deep shot or you, you have a big-time throw here and there, which Eli was always capable of, which I think Ben, even at the, at the, in his age here, has this aggressiveness in him that doesn't show up for most of the game because they, you know, they realize, I don't really want you throwing the ball down the field 40 times a game, right? But at the end, can Ben you know, turn back the clock and chuck it down the field and give his guys some opportunities? I think so. So I think that the quarterbacks who can add value, po high positively graded throws, have that aggressiveness, are better in late-game situations. I mean, I think it's more that the those two-minute drives are so situationally driven and just understanding what play you need in what particular situation with the down and distance, what it currently is, and with the time on the clock. Like, the Browns have had a couple of those drives this season, and it's like they've never experienced that situation in their lives before. Nobody had any earthly idea what they should be doing, and they consequently got, like, four plays in, and the drive was already over. Like, they had no shot of executing it from what they, the way they managed those first four plays. Versus, even against Chicago, you see Roethlisberger happy to take a check down to Najee Harris quickly, just get it moving, start the drive, get the chains moving. Like, let's just get this thing taken over. And then, as long as we're all hurrying up and we all get this thing moving as quickly as we can, we can just start picking off some of these plays. I think... When you look at the great quarterbacks and the way they execute these drives, it's so much more methodical, I think, than people give it credit for. And I think a lot of the mistakes worse quarterbacks make is kind of trying to do too much with too many of these plays. Like, if you have 90 seconds, that's an eternity. It is a long like you time, can, yeah. You can execute a couple of those drives in 90 seconds. Yeah, so far if you've got that amount of time, I think the best quarterbacks realize when they have the time to spend – as long as they use it wisely. Brett Favre, who, you know, the most volatile quarterback of his era, said just just get first downs yeah. in fourth quarter comeback situations. Even he realized, you know, a slant or a check down is okay. Even he. <laughs> <laughs> Unless he's throwing it back across his body. <sighs> Trying to not cough here on the... How's it going? Not well. No? Not well. Yeah, we still don't have cough buttons. Nope, not, not at one, all. Not a one to be seen. It was a good question, though. It was. I think, uh, let me just wrap it up with this, though, too. I do think 
there is a they, there's a high level view of how to look at quarterbacks and all that stuff, but there is there are styles within the way quarterbacks get there that um like again, I'm I'm not afraid of Big Ben in a comeback situation. I don't really want him as my quarterback right now. I think it's really tough for him to put a full game together. But if he needs to make a comeback, like I think he's got enough in him to do it. So I could still say he's a below average quarterback, but I could have as much confidence in him leading a comeback as maybe Stafford or another quarterback who's playing better right now. Uh, last email I wanted to touch oh, on. Oh, there is another one. Just okay. one quick loan. We don't even need to talk about this. I just think it's worth reading. Uh, Mike Kosmowski, I believe, said, uh, forget the ginger talent theory. Mm. Today's Jags-Bills game proves when there are two Josh Allens on the field, only one Josh Allen can play well. There's That's no true. other explanation for what happened in that game. Unfortunately, there's several other explanations. One, that we just needed to see the comedy of Josh Allen sacking, intercepting, tackling, and recovering a fumble from Josh Allen. Two, the Manning curse. The Manning curse, And yeah. three, the Josh Allen theory, as it now is. Well, I like. I didn't even realize. I, I did check our uh, YouTube comments. I, I glance at those every now and again. And uh, somebody quoted. I didn't realize how good of a quote you had. They're what like, was that? You said Josh Allen. Like, this is the day I reclaim my name. Yeah. I didn't even realize that, as you said. That was a good one. So he, that's number four. He, well, look, Josh Allen being, reclaimed his name. Like, imagine being known as the other Steve Palazzolo for like I know, you know, right? years. There are other Steve Palazzolos out there. Then you, get a, then you get a shot at the other yeah. one, right? Wouldn't you be like, oh, not today, sir. No, because I'm the top Steve Palazzolo right now, so I don't uh, know what it's like to be the underdog Steve maybe Palazzolo. Maybe he's a bigger Steve Palazzolo over in uh, like Italy or something. It could be. Yeah. There's a whole, this whole town named bigger Palazzolo. Bigger in, in you know, figurative terms, not... Not like, terms. yeah. I'm man, probably the biggest. Man would need to eat a lot of pasta in order for, for you to be him to I, be the I'm bigger. I'm probably the biggest Steve Palazzolo in the world, <laughs> I would say. And probably the most famous football analyst named Steve Palazzolo. Probably. Just yeah. like you're like the number two uh, Irish football analyst, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. It's all right. Well, like the other guy, you know, deleted his Twitter profile. Oh, let's not. Multiple let's not. times. Let's not. We're going to Thursday night football here. We get the Dolphins and the Ravens. He's back now. Have you seen that? I have not. <laughs> I do not keep tabs on... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> bollocks don't hmm. keep tabs on that okay that stuff um also in our notes here bobby wagner interview question mark yeah we still probably, have it's probably not happening today we still have our questions for bobby the whole from this uh, summer yeah the whole sketch of that interview is just just lives in the document he is forever a part of our show notes yep and one day when he joins our pod he has now been on two other pff podcasts yeah. besides ours now that he's been on sherm's pod yeah, that's right. He's been on Sherm's podcast. He also like hits up Ben for like conversations about the grading, you know, yeah. every now and again. Yeah. I think Ben should should be like, sure. Once you go on the PFF NFL podcast. But first, when yeah. are you available for this interview? I will answer your questions once you uh, right. join the pod. That's what I'm thinking. That's what we should do. Ben, get Bobby over here because we get, we have a whole slew of questions. Right. <laughs> which may have changed. You know, may have changed since then. I think then. they're dramatically unchanged. For example, KJ Wright is no longer unsigned. Yeah. yeah. KJ Wright signed since... You know, July. Maybe we can hang on long enough that KJ Wright is unsigned again. He'll be back on the Seahawks probably by the time we interview Bobby. I'm just saying there'll be another period where he is unsigned, and that's our that's our window. All right, let's let's preview Thursday night football as we've been doing here on Wednesday nights. We've got the Ravens and the Dolphins, and uh, Dolphins coming off a big win against the Texans. Yeah, they have a shot here against the Ravens. I mean, every time I say no, no shot whatsoever, I always ends up going that pose way. Pose that for you. So yeah. <laughs> I would say no, but stranger things have happened, Steve. In fact, stranger things have happened in the last week. The Ravens played an overtime game on Sunday. Yeah. Almost, and what they play, uh, eight minutes in overtime, like eight or nine minutes. Yeah. So, you know, almost a full extra quarter. Think that has a factor in the short week here? I mean, it can't have helped but I doubt it's enough to make the difference between the Baltimore Ravens and the Miami Dolphins. Uh, Tua is still uh, going to be questionable with the finger injury, so you rooting for uh, Jacoby again? Always. Always rooting for yeah. Jacoby. Is there a point where the Dolphins just, um, they should have been better? We expected some regression, but maybe not this much, um, especially defensively. And, you know, they've, um, they've just struggled on the back end more than we had expected, given all of the investment back there yeah and what they were doing and you know maybe that maybe there was just so much reliance on turnovers that you know it was impossible for Xavier Howard to have 10 interceptions this year we just knew that coming in but is there a point where the Dolphins can just turn this thing around and play better on the back end because to me that's their 
It's their biggest issue this I mean, season. They can certainly play better than they've been playing. Like, Xavier Howard has a 52 coverage grade. Um, Byron Jones is 61. They have a lot of players that you would expect better things of playing badly. Now, then you also have some ones where we don't know that they can play better. Like, um, and that, I think, is a bigger concern. But, yeah, like the investment that they've thrown at the back end is, should be paying bigger dividends than it's played so far. Now, you can say, okay, some of that is because they aren't getting as much quick, impactful pressure as you need for just any secondary in today's NFL to hold up. And some of it is that they were relying a lot on turnovers last they, year. They don't, they don't have a great pass rush, but... But like Xavier Howard's allowed seven touchdowns this year. Like yeah. that, he can do better than that. Yes, and then, you know, that was... You know, we've talked about Trevon Diggs having that level of uh, volatility and Marcus Peters through the years. Xavier Howard's always been that guy. Right. And um, even when we were evaluating coming, coming out of college, there are times where he looked like Richard Sherman. There were times where he just got smoked and... Um, I think his NFL career has, has been that as well. Last year he was fantastic because he got his hands on the ball 10 times. It, would it surprise you, looking at premium stats and just the defensive grades for the Dolphins, their top five grades are all defensive linemen. I mean, it's like bizarro world for the Dolphins. That's not to say that they're dominant rushing the passer. Most of these guys are grading well against the run, but we're talking about Emmanuel Ogba as their highest-graded player. He's hitting free agency and just starting – to go from kind of like an average to above average player the last couple of years. Zach Seiler, Christian Wilkins, Brennan Scarlett in limited time, and John Jenkins in only his five games. But those are the five highest grades for the Dolphins. And the D-line was supposed to be their weakness, and the secondary was supposed to be their strength. It is like Bizarro World in Miami, the way their defense is played. And maybe, it, maybe it's just the... Maybe it's just when you play as much man coverage as they play, it's, it's tough to hold up. They play a ton of man coverage, and they blitz an absolute ton as well. There are 17 players that have rushed the passer at least 10 times on this defense. There are uh, 10 players that have rushed the passer – no, sorry, 11 players that have rushed the passer at least 50 times. So, you know, defensive linemen, obviously, but linebackers are being sent a ton. Defensive backs are being sent a ton. Um, just to generate the pressure because they don't have a guy that's dominating one-on-one up front and winning just so consistently that they don't need to send extra guys. They've obviously invested first-round picks in guys like Jalen Phillips, who hasn't done it yet. Like, if they found one dude who was just vintage Cameron Wake, you know, in a human pressure machine, I think that would make the whole defense easier uh, because you could back off on the blitz and you wouldn't be exposing the corners on the back end to so much one-on-one coverage and just isolate them. But at the moment, they are playing this sort of aggressive, high-risk style of defense, and the high risk isn't paying off. Their uh, defensive ELO ranking, the Dolphins, number 27 this year. Offense is actually much higher at 19th. Uh, Ravens come in as the number nine team overall in the ELO rankings, favored by 7.5. If you have PFF Green Line, of course, too. By the way, you get 25% off. Promo code's NFLPod. 25% off. All these grades and stats. Green Line which uh, likes the Ravens just a little bit better than the uh, seven and a half there. Yeah. Um, do you th- so the overtime game on Sunday, Lamar is getting a lot of the MVP hype. Um, the Lamar people were, were mad at us because we said he missed a bunch of throws the other day, so we got to say something nice to offset that. Um, he's really tough to defend. He's running the ball like crazy this year. He's going to get a ton of yards this year. The yards are there. Um, one of his best throws fell incomplete in the end zone the other day, so there's some nice things. Lamar, prime time, making his MVP case against the, uh, against the Dolphins. overmatched Dolphins. Look at you, Mr. Populist over there. It's just what, what do the people want to hear me say? Oh, that's yeah, what that's I'm a, going with. Oh, yeah. You just, you've got to speak to the, the prime time. Real hype courage stuff. of your convictions there, your analysis. Does it really happen if it doesn't happen in an island game? Hmm? It's an island game. This is when Lamar wins MVP. On a Thursday night game against the Dolphins. Absolutely. In the minds of the, uh, the small-minded Twitter folk, and absolutely. Small, and you wonder why I hate the MVP award. Yeah. This is when we're determining it on a random Week 10 Thursday yeah. night game against the Dolphins. Because in, in a fake world called social media we just spent- where everybody's watching the same thing, whatever you see there, you're three, the three times you see a team you know, on an island game, that's it. That's we just all spent that matters. five minutes talking about how bad the Dolphins' defense is. Yep. And your, your interpretation is that because Lamar Jackson will beat that up on a Thursday night game, that seals MVP for him. No, it's not going to seal anything. But, I mean, you, you know that's the, 
That's going to be the buzz Friday morning. Lamar just threw for 280 and ran for 90 and had four touchdowns. And there he is. There's your MVP. Okay. That's what's going to happen Friday morning. There's almost nothing he could do in that Thursday night game that would make me convinced he's the MVP this year. Like, okay. he's, he should beat up this defense. This defense yeah. isn't very good. No, I know. I, I don't like the MVP race anyway. But um, anyway, I do like watching the evolution of the Ravens offense. I think, I think Lamar's throwing the ball pretty well overall. Um, he's never not missed a, uh, more throws than he should, even in his MVP season. But he's, he's become more of a value-add type of quarterback, too. He's got the, they have that aggressiveness. They're throwing the ball down the field. Marquise Brown has been awesome for the most part, other than a few drops. And the Ravens are just that much more difficult to defend because of the pass game. Even as you've mentioned a few times, the run game's not nearly as efficient, but they've made up for it with the chunk plays they're creating in the passing attack. Uh, Lamar is another one of those quarterbacks that I think causes issues for a defense who blitzes a lot. And as we just talked about, Miami blitzes a lot. So do they... Do they stick with that or do they try and back off? Because if you start throwing extra guys at Lamar, that's when he can really cause you some problems. Just take off, pick up a a ton of yardage on the ground. Let me make this comparison too. The discussion we had earlier about Mahomes and Josh Allen and that the type of quarterback that likes to scramble around, make plays outside of structure. I still don't believe that's Lamar, right? Lamar is not that guy. He doesn't like to do that at all. Yeah, so if you choose... Uh, Will, but like, doesn't like it. Right, so if you choose to just sit in zone like the Colts did on Monday Night Football, Lamar misses, I had like six incompletions, what, 37 for 43 or whatever he was. He is more willing to sit in the pocket and be patient and pick you apart and read it out than a Josh Allen or than a Patrick Mahomes. So there isn't really a great blueprint for, for no. stopping Lamar. There's, there's not because you, pro- you want to keep him in the pocket because if he does break the pocket he just he he has that knack for finding 10 yards when there really should only be one or two there right he's going to beat angles and all that stuff so you'd rather have him stay in the pocket you just kind of like hope he misses some throws because again his, his accuracy is still not pristine but he completes a high percentage of passes he gets him there he's a classic example of a guy where it's problematic because the game plan to beat him is also the riskiest thing to do like he actually doesn't do that well against the blitz but when he beats you it's because he's taken off and racked up like 30 yards on the play on the ground like his rushing grade against the blitz is crazy but his passing grade is bad so it is actually a pretty good way of limiting what he can do as a, as a passer and, and as you say if anything the opposite way not blitzing is worse so if you sit back and don't blitz he is actually very good at picking apart a defense and passing the ball in those situations if you blitz him his passing performance declines a lot but you are opening yourself up at any given moment to him to just go the hell with this and run 40 yards against your defense and that's always for a start teams hate that right it's like mm-hmm. t- defenses hate those plays like they, it, and not just coaches hate him but players as well there's nothing more demoralizing than like winning for three downs and then a guy like lamar just going yoink picking up 40 yards on the ground and you're right back to square one only you're 40 yards closer to him scoring points again it's why there's a debate about you know who were the best running backs ever but basically anybody that ever played him would say Barry Sanders because those guys hated a guy like that because they would bottle him up for play after play after play and then you switch off for half a second he makes you look like an idiot and he took off for 50 yards like defenses just hate those guys so with Lamar do you actually go with that kind of game plan? Because that probably is the way of slowing him down. But you are increasing the chances that he makes you look like an idiot at any given time. Yeah, we'll see what the Dolphins choose to do. Um, this was the year teams were going to figure out Lamar. And turns out they're uh, more figuring out Patrick Mahomes. Figured out Mahomes instead. Yeah. Uh, Alejandro Villanueva update. Yeah. Offensive tackle, 55 out of 83. Yeah. Needs to do a little bit better to get back to average. He's also got the exact opposite profile that he's had for his entire life. Yep. He's grading quite well in the run game and terribly as a pass blocker. Complete opposite. Yeah. What the Maybe hell? Maybe he was protected in Pittsburgh a little bit, the quick passing game. He didn't. I mean, it the, hasn't last always two been years, a quick at least. Passing game. Yeah, it wasn't always quick. It was, yeah, early in his career, that was, that was Villanueva's game. He's been better, better as a run blocker, for sure. The, uh, the bull rush got him last week. 
once Kenny Willickus got in there. Those low pad level guys always affect big dudes like me and Allie. You and Allie? Yeah. Just saying, if I had to face a low pad level guy, I'd probably have, uh, probably have some trouble. Hmm. Where are you going on this? Seven and a half Ravens on the road against Miami. Coming off the overtime game. Does it matter, Sam? No. The Ravens will win and cover. I'll take that too. Ravens win. Oh, what was our update? Did you did we read that out? You, uh, we'll do it tomorrow. The scores, the picks. We'll do it yeah. tomorrow. You do it tomorrow. Yeah. Does that mean I won? I think you had a better week than me. Okay. Yeah. I'm pretty sure somebody's gonna have to go back and check the audio though, because according to my notes, I took it. You took Atlanta, and I took New Orleans. I think you have that backwards. And I do think I have it backwards, yeah, which same. is a that's a two game. And I'm flip. not going to go and check. But the, last time I checked, I was like three and nine. So even if you Oof. give me the one, it's like, yeah, rough week. That's like that, you know. Who won the game? It doesn't matter who won a game. It's, or it doesn't matter who won or lost. It's how you played the game. Oh, so I won. Yeah. That's how you played the game. That's what we're, that's what we're talking about. I here. didn't play well this week. No. The game. Apparently not. Anything else to cover before tomorrow, before we preview all the Week 10 action tomorrow? Uh, just keep sending us emails. And now start thinking about what we do after this baseball thing if we're wrapping this up soon. So we're going to need your forfeit. Now, I have an idea that I'm working on that I haven't told you about. I need to make sure it's possible before I break it to you. But I think it's a good one. But I'm not saying it's the thing we do. Maybe people have better ideas. So mm. NFL podcast, singular. I've seen some bad ideas that people have too. So I don't know if At I want PFF. too many. There have been some very bad ideas. But if you can think of something that Steve should do or that we can make him do without injuring him, preferably, you know, within reason, um, send us an email. Let us know. Let us know. Hashtag. Yeah. Let us know. Anyway, yeah. Send us the emails. Tune in tomorrow. We'll be previewing all the Week 10 action. And go get your PFF subscription with 25% off using the promo code NFLPOD. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. We'll see you tomorrow.